All right. When I graduated from seminary a uh, long, long time ago, uh, the, for the seminary exercises, you know, you're all dressed in your robes and you got those funny hats on and all the rest of the things that goes along with graduation. And uh, we had a, a speaker for that, uh, for that time. I don't know that you would know him uh, as a man who passed away about uh, 10 or 15 years ago. His name was E.V. Hill. He was a pastor of a Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles. Uh, very well known around the country at that time, uh, back in the 80s. And uh, he was a, a wonderful, powerful preacher. And in his message to us, graduates who were going to go out and be pastors and missionaries and teachers and all the rest of that. He says, I want you to know that people have invested highly in you. He said, you've got family members, you've got investors in the seminary, you've got people from all over the country that have been praying for you, that investing their hard-earned money and their efforts into you. He says, and it's like we've handed the ball off to you. Then he uses this football analogy. My heart was broken last night. I grew up in Nebraska, and I watched Nebraska lose at the last minute to ranked Michigan. It just broke my heart. But anyway, uh, he, he tells this story. He says, we've handed the ball off to you, and all of a sudden you break through the line, and it's open field, and you're at the 30, you're at the 40, you're at the 50, you're at the 40, you're at the 30, you're at the 20. He says, I've got one thing to tell you. Don't drop the ball. Don't drop the ball. And he was telling us, he says, he says, you have to live in a certain way. People are counting on you. Don't drop the ball. And I thought of that this week as I was preparing for the message this morning because we're going to read the story of some people that dropped the ball. It's not a, one of the happiest passages of Scripture that we'll find. It's difficult in a lot of different ways. And I'm so, so happy that uh, I was forced to study this passage a little better because it's a head-scratcher in a lot of different ways. I don't know if you what your traditions are here, but I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to read the passage, uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 18 to 29. And if you don't mind, uh, if you would indulge me, you know, I'm, I'm a visitor. I can do whatever I want, right? So stand up, okay? Stand up as we read God's Word. And we're going to read Genesis 9, starting at verse 18. And I'm, I have the same translation that you do. So uh, uh, you should be able to follow along if you're following along in the CSB. There we read, Noah's sons who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were Noah's sons, and from them the whole earth was populated. Noah, as a man of the soil, began by planting a vineyard. He drank some of the wine, became drunk, and uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, so Canaan would be Noah's grandson, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a cloak and placed it over both their shoulders, and walking backwards, they covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father naked. And when Noah awoke from his drinking and learned that what his youngest son had done to him, he said, 
Canaan is cursed. He will be the lowest of slaves to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be Shem's slave. Let God extend Japheth. Let Japheth, Japheth dwell in the tents of Shem. And let Canaan be Shem's slave. And Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So Noah's life lasted 950 years and then he died. Father, just pray that you'd open your word to our hearts this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Okay. I'm getting out a pen. I'm looking at the clock. And uh, this is a good reminder. Otherwise, you're going to need a calendar as I, <laughs> as I go through this passage, okay? This, we want to get out in, in the appropriate time this morning. If I, I'm going to give you a few hooks if you just kind of want to uh, think about these as we, as we go through the passage. Uh, the first one I'm titling, Prone to Sin. There's an old song that has that, uh, uh, that uh, phrase, we are prone to sin. It just means that we have a tendency to sin. We all do, okay? And so that's what I'm titling that, that first section, Prone to sin, verses 18 through 21. I'm going to read that again. Just uh, I know we just read it, but I'm going to sort of imprint it again in our mind. Uh, Noah's sons who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were Noah's sons, and from them the whole earth was populated. Noah, as a man of the soil, began by planting a vineyard. He drank some of the wine, became drunk, and uncovered himself inside his tent prone to sin. Now we would think, right, uh, the gen we get to Genesis chapter 9, uh, you know, this is a new beginning, right? There's, uh, we pick up the genealogy from Genesis chapter 5, uh, where it first talked about Noah and his descendants. This is kind of like the big uh, parentheses, giving us more information about Noah and his three sons. They're named here. And uh, Remember, the world has changed. The world is radically different than what it used to be. Not only physically, but spiritually, because that's why the flood came in the first place, right? There was a spiritual degeneracy that had, had come in, and God says we have to start again. So just so we're clear, uh, Moses, when he's writing these words, he says, okay, just remember now this is where the whole family of, of earth came from. All people came from, uh, from Noah and his wife and his three sons that come out of the ark. You get to Genesis chapter 10, the next chapter, it'll kind of take the story through a genealogy of those three families of the three sons of Noah a little bit further. Now, <clears throat> Pastor Tim Franks uh, preached last week, as I understand. I did listen to his message from uh, basically the end of chapter 8 through the first part of chapter 9. And it's, you'd say, well, this is a fresh start, right? This is a fresh start. Uh, these were people, very limited number of people. We're talking about eight people who had seen God work so clearly, who had seen God's goodness in saving them, but he also, they also saw so very clearly God's attitude towards sin uh, in the flood. And, uh, but they have a fresh start. Doesn't a fresh start sound good at times, right? 
and they had a fresh start. They had seen God work. Noah was a great man of faith. We saw that back in chapter 5. We were reminded of that in Hebrews chapter 11. Noah is singled out as one of the great heroes of the faith. They had given sacrifices to God when they came out of the ark. Uh, and there's a God's pronounces his blessing over those people. And there's this covenant that had been made. We have the rainbow as a sign in the sky of uh, that judgment is never going to come through water again. And we would be tempted to think that, okay, everything's going to be great now, right? Uh, everything's going to be great. Noah, perhaps, maybe. Could it even be that Noah or one of his sons, if you go back to Genesis 3 and God says, you know, okay, sin has come in, but, you know, we're going to need a solution. Is, is Noah going to be that solution? Is one of his sons going to be the Messiah? Is what it came to be called later. Is that where the hope or the hope is going to come from? But even as we see that wonderful fresh start, in the first part of chapter 9, there's a sobering reminder in verse 6, says, whoever sheds human blood by humans, his blood will be shed. So there's something there that did not get washed away by the flood. Okay, there's something there. And so um, it's some years later after the flood now. We know that because Noah has planted a vineyard. That takes time. He's got grandsons. That takes time. Uh, Canaan was the fourth child of Ham. So, you know, all that takes some time. So we don't know how much longer after the flood it was, but it was a number of years after the flood. And uh, everything seems to be returning to normal. We read in verse 20, you know, and, uh, Noah became a man of the soil. He planted a vineyard and so on. And again, it seems like an ideal situation. Agriculture is being restored. Uh, grandsons, grandchildren are being born uh, and say everything is going to be good. Ezekiel, the prophet who wrote, uh, is one of the last writers of the Old Testament. He looks back on this time and he says, you know, there's three people in the Old Testament that really ought to grab our attention as being righteous people. He says, Job, we can understand that. Daniel, yeah, we could understand that. And he says, Noah. He says, if I would name you the top three people of the Old Testament, it would be those three. So we say, what could ever possibly go wrong? Things are returning to normal. Things are going to be good. But the problem was, things were returning to normal. That was the problem. And the normal there is that Noah gets drunk and naked. Now, the problem is not that he had a vineyard. The problem is not that he was drinking wine. The problem was that he got drunk. And he got drunk and naked. Okay? And uh, every time those two words are used together in the Bible, it's always a bad situation. Okay? It's always a negative situation. And there's no details about what happened. This is the PG or PG-13 version. And that's the version God wants to give us. And we have all kinds of questions about what's going on here. That would be more R-rated, okay? Well, what's going on there? Why is he naked? You know, what's all this uh, stuff that's going on? And God doesn't give us that, so we don't need to spend a lot of time thinking about it. But we have this sense that something's wrong, don't we? 
We have the sense that something's wrong, even though we don't know all the details of it. Uh, this is not what we expected from Noah, who's being placed in a new world. Everything has been cleansed away, and yet it's disappointing. He's clearly not going to be the one that we were waiting for. He's not going to provide the solution to sin because he's a sinner. I, I like to read, I like to read, period. Uh, uh, I've, I've always liked to have a little bit of a thing for British authors, too. I, I just love Tolkien and Lewis, if you've ever read any of them. There's another man from uh, around that time, a little bit earlier, by the name of G.K. Chesterton. And G.K. Chesterton was, uh, was a wonderful writer. He was a journalist. He was an author. He was all sorts of things. He was sort of uh, one of the leading intellectuals of his day in the early 1900s in England. And so one time, uh, one of the great papers, one of the great newspapers of England asked G.K. Chesterton, he said, would you write an essay for us to publish in our newspaper? He said, what is the problem in the world today? What's the problem in the world today? He wrote his answer back very quickly, and he wrote back, I am. What's the problem in the world today? I am. What's the problem in our day it's me too. It's you. It's all of us. It's all of us together. We're the problem. And the problem is there's something inside of us that did not get washed away by the flood. Sin is deeply, deeply ingrained. We're prone to sin. Let me just remind us of a couple things from this first section. Ideal situations do not insulate us from sin. Okay? They do not. You can place any of us in the most ideal situation and we're still going to be who we are. We're sinners. We need help beyond ourselves. And placing ourselves or placing our kids or our grandkids in the ideal situation is not going to guarantee any kind of outcome at all. Ideal situations don't insulate us from sin. Second reminder is that even good people fail. Even good people fail. Noah was strong in his faith. Think about the faith that it took to build the ark. I mean, seriously. Think about that. And so he fell. He, he sinned. He gave over to something. And it's just kind of a reminder. We need to be very cautious about elevating people, anybody, higher than they ought to be. Now, I'm not going to use Eric as an example. I'll use myself as an example. Don't elevate a pastor beyond what he should be elevated. If God has given you a pastor, and he has, and a good pastor, understand that he's just like you. I'm just like you. Isn't that right, Eric? I see you're nodding your head. His wife's nodding her head even more vigorously. <laughs> We're all prone to sin. We're going to disappoint. Don't elevate your partner. You know, if you're, if you're married and you have a husband or a wife or if you have someone you're really interested in, don't elevate any person above what they should be. We're all prone to sin. Don't elevate a politician 
to the point, well, if that guy gets in office or if that woman gets in office, then everything's going to be set straight. No, it won't. Don't elevate a party to send a political party. Every person is prone to sin, and because every person is prone to sin, every institution people create is prone to sin, whether it's a political party or schools or business ventures or whatever. This is a the reality of life. Noah is 600 years old, we read, when he comes out of the ark, and we would have thought 600 years is long enough to learn the lessons of life, but Noah hasn't learned them yet, has he? You don't grow immune to sin. We're all prone to sin. Okay, verse 22. We can become calloused to sin. Calloused. Uh, Verse 22, we read about Ham. Um, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. Okay. So Noah's son, Ham, takes it a little bit further. He also was prone to sin, but he also, I think, had become callous to sin. You know what calluses are, right? If you work with tools, you get calluses on your hand or on your feet, you know, wherever you uh, have a lot of stress and pressure put on your skin, uh, it will it will form a callus to protect you. And what that means, I mean, that's a good thing in our bodies, right? But what that means is that part of your body becomes insensitive in some ways. Maybe insensitive to heat, insensitive to the pressure. It becomes tougher. And that's what can happen to our hearts as well. That's what can happen to us spiritually. We become callous to sin. We don't think about it anymore like we ought to. And again, here we're not given any details. We, we're given the PG version of the story. It says, Ham came in and he saw the nakedness of his father. And people that have written about this passage, they have all kinds of uh, ideas of what that might mean. Some people say, well, it's a sexual reference. I, we're not told that. We're not told that. What we're told is that he saw his father naked and he reacted inappropriately. He saw his father drunk passed out and naked. And the first thing he does is what? Not take care of his father. The first thing he does is go and tells his brothers. And I can imagine that that just wasn't, uh, oh, by the way, no, he's probably, he's making fun of dad is what he's doing. He's not honoring his father. He's not showing respect to his father. You know, the Bible takes very seriously that we honor our parents. That was one of the hardest things for me when I was growing up. I, I was one of those kids, uh, I hate to say it, but I was one of those kids that caused my parents some grief. I was raised in a Christian home, but I wanted to go my own way. You know, I wanted to do my own thing. And when I was in high school... I have vivid memories of my mom crying and my dad threatening, okay? Vivid memories. Lack of respect is a problem. You know, when God later gives the the Ten Commandments to Moses through the children of Israel, he starts out with four commandments that relate to our relationship to God. And then he has six commandments about how we relate to each other. 
You know, remember what the first one is of how we relate to each other? Honor your father and your mother. God takes this very seriously. Well, uh, Ham did not do that. I think he dishonored his father and he tried to prole his brothers into that hardness that was in his own heart. And uh, he evidently did, I think, from the text, pull his own son, Canaan, into that. He was the youngest of his four boys. And rather than quietly helping his father and not drawing attention to what the situation was, he exploited it. He did. He exploited it. Maybe to feel good about himself. Maybe, I, who knows why. And again, we're reminded, here is a man, Ham, who had every advantage. He had seen God's grace. He had seen God's judgment on sin. That would be a warning. He had heard God's blessing over them, but he grew hard in his heart to sin. Listen. All of us make choices, right? And we need to be careful that as we make those choices, that those choices are not leading us away from our Father. I don't mean our earthly Father, but from our heavenly Father. Because as we continue to indulge choices like that, they become like calluses in our heart. We become insensitive. It's harder to hear the voice of God. It's also a reminder. I mean, Noah was a great man of faith. Noah was a great man of faith, right? And you see what happened to one of his sons, one of his grandsons. As parents, as grandparents, there's no guarantees, are there? God has not ever said in his word, now if you do this, I guarantee you all of your kids are going to follow in your way. He gives us principles. They said, you know, you need to do your part. But there's no absolute ironclad guarantee that our kids are going to turn out the way we want them to. The second thing I notice about Ham is that he had been obedient, right? He had been obedient in the past. We're given the indication that he helped build the ark. And, uh, but what we decide to do in the past, our past obedience, does not determine our future obedience. We can't live in the past, folks. We can't say, well, you know, 20 years ago I made a choice and that was, uh, that was the choice that I made. It was a good choice and uh, we can't keep looking back to that. What's God doing in our lives right now? What's God asking from us right now? It's good to remember the past, but we don't, there's no guarantee from the past what the future or the present's going to look like. Well, I think Ham became callous to sin and that affected him but it also affected his great, his son Canaan really affected the history of the world as it unfolded so that would be our first two uh, prone to sin and callous to sin and then I think I see in, in the next section verses 23 and 24 people that stand strong in the temptation Okay, 23 and 24 uh, then Shem and Japheth took a cloak and placed it over both their shoulders and walking backward they covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away and they did not see their father naked. And when Noah learned from his drinking, uh, awoke from his drinking and learned what his youngest son had done to him, he said, and so on. 
get to that in a minute. So this is a pretty discouraging passage, right? We have a father and son, both with a long record of, of knowing God and serving God, making some bad decisions. And we, we might be tempted to ask the question, if we're reading this for the first time, is there any way to escape that? Is there any way to make a good decision? To not give in? So Shem and Japheth enter the story and they address the situation uh, with their father. They walk backwards, you know, and I'm trying to visualize this. And, you know, how are they sure they're not, you know, stepping over anything or going to trip on something? You know, I don't know how that all works. Tents probably weren't huge, but they're walking backwards. They don't want to see their father. And they have a cloak or we would say, you know, like a robe type thing, like a blanket that they throw over their father. They see his feet coming up and they probably give it a toss over their shoulders and they say, okay, let's get out of here. Uh, they go to great lengths to not dishonor their father in that way. They seem kind of odd to us, but uh, maybe that says more about us than it does about the situation here. I don't know. But they knew that their brother had dishonored their father, and they didn't want to do the same thing. They wanted to make the right choice. So they made the right choice to honor their father, and as they honored their father, they were also honoring God. Because God says, she'll honor your father and your mother. You know, this story reminds me a lot of Genesis chapter 3. Remember what happened when Adam and Eve sinned? And God says there's a solution that's coming. Someone is going to come who's going to step on the serpent's head. Um, and then what did God do? What did God do? He took animals and he killed the animals and what did he do? He covered up Adam and Eve in their nakedness, right? He covered up their sin, as it were. Here we have the same sort of story playing itself out again. Somebody's done something wrong, Noah. And so Shem and Japheth come in to cover him up in his naked situation. That's why I read that passage from Psalm 32 this morning. David sinned, right? David turns away from his sin. Remember what he said in the uh, verse 1 of Psalm 32? How joyful is one whose sin is, remember the word? Is covered, right? And that gives us the same word, the same idea that's used in the Bible sometimes. You maybe heard it's a real Bible type word of atonement. It means to cover over. Now, if we were to fast forward this, I don't know how long, a long time, we get to Jesus. And what happened to Jesus? Jesus is going to carry the sins of people like us on him. So what happens to him? He's stripped naked, isn't he? He's stripped naked. And when Jesus is stripped naked... The only thing he's covered with is all the bad things that we've done or are going to do. And he bears that shame even though he did not need to. When Noah sinned, it was his fault. It was his choice. When Jesus took our sin, that was his choice as well, but it didn't belong to him. But Jesus was stripped naked so that we could be covered. That's the idea. That's what the gospel is all about. So we could be covered, we could be made right with God. 
You know, there's so much that's unclear about this story, I think, but what we see here is that Shem and Japheth are very sensitive to sin. They took it seriously, and with God's help, I think, by God's grace, they made the right choice. Even though their brother was kind of wanting to pull them into following his own calloused heart, they said, no, no. We are going to make a choice to to follow what God would want us to do. With God's help, it's a choice that's open to all of us. We don't, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we don't have to sin. We've been set free from that. We still do sin. But provision has been made for us. We've been covered. So Shem and Japheth remind us to honor God first in our lives and then to stand strong in that. Lastly, and quickly, uh, those last verses, when Noah awoke from his drinking and he saw what had happened, he said, Canaan is cursed. He will be the lowest of slaves to his brothers. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be Shem's slave. Let God extend Japheth. Let Japheth dwell in the tents of Shem. Let Canaan be Shem's slave. And Noah lived 350 years after the flood, so Noah's life lasted 950 years, and then he died. Uh, one of the things, one of the, one of the big principles of the Bible, I think, is not stated ever, but I think it's one of the big principles of the Bible is that words matter. That's why the Bible matters, because this is God's word to us, and so these words matter. The words that we speak matter. That seems to be a pretty strong principle in the Bible. And so Noah, when he wakes up, he says some words, and these words matter. Now, there's a lot of things that we could talk about here. We're not going to take the time to do that. But uh, I just uh, want you to understand this. I I think what's going on is that Noah is saying this is what's going to happen. He's making a prophecy. This is what's going to happen He's not saying this has to happen. He's not determining the future of all these people. He's saying this is what's going to happen. So Canaan, the grandson, is singled out. We're not sure why here, but evidently Canaan was involved in Ham's sin, his father's sin. And um, so he says, you are going to be a servant that's the consequence of your sin. We can make our choices, but we can't pick our consequences, can we? That's uh, pretty clear. And then he says, Shem, he says, Shem, he says, your Lord will be blessed. He doesn't pronounce a blessing on Shem himself, but on the God, on the Lord of Shem. He's essentially saying that through you, through your God, blessing is going to come. Shem, you'll see in the genealogy, leads us right to Abraham in chapter 12. Abraham leads us through King David. Through Shem and Abraham and David, we make our way to Jesus Christ. That's where God's blessing comes. It comes through the line of Shem. So he says, Shem, through you, blessing is going to come. And then he says to Japheth, He says, you're going to be enlarged. And if you read chapter 10, it seems like a lot of the, uh, oops, 
sorry there. A lot of the Gentile nations came out of Japheth. And it seems like what he's saying is that, uh, what does he say there? Let Japheth dwell in the tents of Shem. That the advantage that's going to come through Japheth is going to be in his relationship to his brother Shem. Now this is all, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, but where do we find our blessing? It's through Jesus, don't we? Where does Jesus come from? From Shem. We find our blessing through Shem. We're from Japheth. But as we relate to Jesus rightly, we're going to find God's blessing. So anyway, the end of the story reminds us we make our choices, but we can't choose our consequences. That's the story of Ham. And I think the overarching principle is that obeying God leads to blessing. Not following God leads to disappointment, leads to sorrow. And Noah plays his part in God's story, 900 years, that's a pretty big part, and then God calls him home. But that's not the end of the story. Because the, for the story to find its end, you've got to go back to Genesis 3.15. God said he's going to send somebody who's going to set things right. And you have to go a long, 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 long ways into the future yet. But what does God do? He keeps his promise. God always keeps his promise. He kept the promise that the world is not going to be destroyed by a flood again. He kept the promise of sending the one who's going to provide the solution for what we see here, the solution to sin. And so that's why we're here. I'm here because someone, Jesus, has provided the solution to my sin. If that wasn't true, I would not know you folks this morning. We would have no reason to be here if it wasn't for Jesus. If it wasn't for the fact that Jesus came through the line of Shem, through Abraham, through David, to provide the solution, it reaches back to Genesis 3.15. God says, here it is, here he is. This is the solution you've been waiting for. If that wasn't true, if Jesus did not come, wasn't stripped naked so that he could bear our sins, so that we could be covered in our sins, none of this would make sense if Jesus did not die and did not resurrect from the dead. Paul said, if none of those things happened, we're the most miserable bunch of people you've ever seen in your life. But we're not. We're not. And you've got a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice that's going to remind us of what God has done, how faithful God is. Father, I pray I pray that you would use these words and uh, that you would take them and impress upon our hearts that you are the God, God with a plan that has, you've carried out throughout history, but everything, everything, everything is leading to Jesus. And we look back on all this, those people were looking ahead to it but we see where it all ends up. It ends up with Jesus. So we thank you that we can be here this morning to remember him 
and to take communion together and to be reminded that the story of our sin that has found a solution through Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.